0: Judy and I had the opportunity last Sunday to go up and uh, visit the river, which is a Wesleyan church in Mainong. Um, Pastor Ben Kidder was uh, on vacation, taking a vacation time. And since Pastor Damien graciously was preaching here, uh, I went up there and was able to fill the pulpit there. God's doing a great thing up there. God's doing a really uh, good thing up there. I think that... um, uh, Mainong is a, is a town of about 500 people. And uh, that's the wrong light. Can you pull those, the headlights down? There we go. That's, that's good. We're good. <laughs> Thank you. I wouldn't be able to see my notes. Uh, town, the Mainong is a town of about 500 people, and they have, about, they have over 200 people at that church. They draw from about 40 miles around, and so it's really exciting to see what God's doing up there, and uh, they're working towards church planting and expanding and doing some great things, so, so it was just a privilege to be up there, and they send their greetings to you. They, they want you to say hi, and they want to thank you for allowing us to be there, so anyway, um, I just needed your permission, so thank you. prayer is something many of us take for granted. We say a prayer at mealtime. We say a prayer at bedtime. We say a prayer before we take a trip. We say a prayer when we get sick. Sounds like uh, Dr. Seuss, I'm sorry. We even throw up emergency help prayers to God when we need it. We might even follow the example of the sailor who was in trouble at sea who said, God, if you help me this one time and save my life, I'll never bother you again. But prayer is more important than asking God's blessing on our food. It's far more than asking for a good night's rest or asking for a safe trip or, or healing from the flu. It's more than an emergency distress call. Now, there are various elements of prayer. Our connect groups, in fact, took an entire 12-week session to study prayer, to learn about prayer. We were studying the book, Too Busy Not to Prayer, by Bill Hybels. And we discovered a lot of things about prayer. And there are a lot of different words that describe prayer. There's the word intercession, which is taken from the words intercedary, to go between, or to pray, on behalf of somebody else. There's petition, which is asking a request on, on behalf of ourselves. There's confession, which, which is confessing our sins, agreeing with God that we did wrong. There's praise, which is adoration, which is a lot of what we did today. and singing to God in praise. Uh, there's thanksgiving. There's watching, which is, which is praying for our leaders in the political process and, and uh, all, all kinds of things in our world. But simply put, prayer is communication with God. Prayer is communication with God. And the fact that prayer makes a difference, and we believe that, flows out of something called faith. Faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists, first of all, and also that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. That's birthed out of faith. Today we're going to look at What God says about prayer. We're going to take his own words about prayer. Solomon was the greatest king of Israel in all of history, and he has just completed an enormous building project. Solomon was the one who built the original temple in in Jerusalem as the place to worship the one true God. And then they had this incredible two-week festival to celebrate this historical occasion. And after this two-week celebration of the opening of the temple... God appeared to Solomon and spoke to him. And God's message to Solomon is recorded in 2 Chronicles 7. 2 Chronicles 7. And I want us to join the story in 2 Chronicles, the 7th chapter. It's on page 350 in the Bible in front of you, or it will be on the PowerPoint in front of you. Second Chronicles chapter 7. I'm going, to read the, I'm going to read 11, and then 12 is where the uh, story picks up. Uh, 11 says, when Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, verse 12, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people... Who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then i will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place i have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever my eyes and my heart will always be there As for you, if you walk before me as David, your servant did, your father did, and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne as a covenant with David, your father, when I said, You shall never fail to have a man to rule over Israel. But if you turn away and forsake the decrees and commands I have given you, and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot Israel from my land, which I have given them. And I will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. I will make it a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. And though this temple is now so imposing, all who pass by will be appalled and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land than to this temple? People will answer, because they have forsaken the Lord the God of all their fathers, who brought them out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That is why he brought all this disaster on them. Title of today's sermon is If. If. The nation of Israel, as we enter this story, is entering its most prosperous days. The people had experienced prosperity, peace, security, and justice. Families could count on, on jobs. They could count on protection from the invaders. They had plenty of food. They had abundant crop yields. They could count on three wagons in each garage and a guarantee of 2.5 kids and a dog. It was the American dream in Israel in 959 B.C. But God knew. God knew what happened to a nation when everything goes well. What happens when everything's going well? They forgot. They forgot God. They forgot where their prosperity came from, and they would begin to replace the one true God with cheap substitutes, cheap substitutes. Since God knew that their prosperity and well-being was dependent on their relationship with God, he would constantly send reminders. God cared enough to send reminders because he cared whether they were wandering away from relationship. First in the form of prophets and prophecy, warning saying, return to God, And then if they didn't heed God's warnings, he would send judgment in the form of plagues or sickness, disease, drought, economic loss, interruption of food supplies, locusts, raiders and invaders. The purpose of these judgments was to remind the people that it is God who is their source of prosperity. God was the one that gave them all this good stuff. And he sent these to get them to turn away from other gods back to the one true God again. God is always this pursuing God who doesn't give up on his people. He's constantly pursuing a wandering people, even today. Well, in the United States of America, we have experienced unparalleled prosperity. A lot of prosperity. Homeownership at the highest level, highest standard of living in the world, the best educated, the healthiest, the best fed, in fact, the most number per capita of dieters, in fact. But God has sent us a wake-up call. Our country today, if you're not paying attention, if you're not paying attention, our country today is in crisis. It's divided as never before. There's outright war between two major political parties in our government. Washington seems totally paralyzed by the divisions. Truth is absent or impossible to find. Our, Our mainstream media function only as propaganda machines. The corruption and outright lawlessness of our previous eight years is absolutely breathtaking. Marriage is no longer between a man and a woman. Gender is whatever a person wants it to become. Restrooms are unsafe spaces for children. And college campuses have created artificial offenses offenses and, and snowflake students in safe spaces where college students can color and play with clay to assuage their perceived affronts. Racism, which was on the wane for between 20 and 30 years, is now at its absolute worst. Witness what happened in Charlottesville, Virginia, yesterday. Racism, ugly, ugly things happening. Racism. Marxism, infiltrating the church, using code words of social justice or environmentalists or pseudo-equality at the expense of individual rights which God... Not only gave us in the Constitution, but he enshrined in the the beginning of creation that we were created in the image of God. Individuals created in the image of God. It's a mess. And you look around, nobody can say, America's got it together. We need prayer. Desperately need prayer. When in the state, God says to Solomon, and he says to us, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Healing. That's what we need today. Today, if, we're going to look at nine principles of prayer. This is not exhaustive. This, these are nine principles that I wanted to take out of this prayer that we're encouraged to pray. Number one, God will only act if we pray. God will only act if we pray. Now, God can, will, can and will do whatever he pleases, but in circumstances like this, he promises to act only, only if we pray, if we ask him to act. Jesus said in Luke eleven nine to 10, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him and knocks, the door will be open. God has not promised to act unless we ask him to. Unless we ask him. Unless we pray. James 4, 2 says, You have not because you do not ask God. We, we believe in the sovereignty of God. God's going to do his thing, but he uses the prayers of his people. He waits for us to pray. And powerlessness is in direct proportion to prayerlessness. Powerlessness is directly proportional to prayerlessness. And we will write letters. We'll send emails. We'll blog. We'll call our congressmen. We'll picket. We'll march. We'll demonstrate. Attend meetings. Donate money. We'll go vote. We'll do all those things. But for some reason, we just won't pray. And as good church people, we attend services, work with children and youth, go to Connect Group, participate in fellowship events, invite people to church, visit the sick, have neighborhood barbecues. We do a a lot of great things that are good for a lot of things, but not pray. If my people, it's a big if, and God will only act if we ask him to. Pray. Number two, Prayer is personal. Prayer is personal. If my people, even though the sins, and we look around our country and we say, these are national sins, they're corporate, but prayer to God is personal. It's not they have sinned or we have sinned, but I have sinned. And even though Solomon talks about the corporate nature of sin, the national expression of sin, leaders own the sin and they confess it themselves. Sin is corporate, but confession is personal personal. We look at the identification of the prophets throughout the Old Testament. When they confess the sin of Israel and Judah and the sins of God's people, they say, I have sinned. See, God is a personal God who listens to each of us as individuals. We cannot depend on someone else's relationship with God. This is a personal relationship that we have with God. Your parents may have a relationship with God. That's not good enough. Do you have a relationship with God? Your grandfather or grandmother may have a relationship with God. That's not enough. Do you? Your husband or wife may have a relationship with God, but do you? We are not related to God through others like the first cousin or second cousin or brother-in-law. God, as it's been said, has no grandchildren. He only has children. children. Prayer is personal. He says, if my people... Thirdly, prayer is the primary expression of our relationship with God. Prayer is the primary expression of our relationship with God. He says, who are called by my name. If we call ourselves Christians, we have the name Christ. Christian means little Christ, Christians. And God has called us into a special relationship, a very unique relationship with him. But we cannot be in a relationship without something called communication. Communication. No. I've counseled many couples over the last 30 years or so whose relationship has just kind of grown cold. I don't love him anymore. I don't love her anymore. And when we diagnose and we look at there are a lot of things that cause problems in marriage, but but many times the root problem is they never really talk. The common denominator is no communication. No communication. And without communication there's no relationship. The Bible often uses the human marriage relationship to illustrate our spiritual relationship with God. We are the bride of Christ, he says. And when we turn our life over to Jesus, we become married to him. We promise to love, cherish, and be faithful to God, forsaking all others. God initiated this relationship, sent Jesus to make it possible, and we respond. But like those who get married and after the honeymoon say, I'll talk to you again in about 20 years, it doesn't work that way. Some people never communicate with God. They never pray. We're not called of God to be into rule-keeping, but into relationship, personal relationship. And prayer is the primary expression of our relationship. Number four, prayer is humbling. Prayer is humbling. Will humble themselves and pray. Humble says, I need God. I need God. I will never forget where I was on 9-11 when I first saw what happened to New York City, downtown Manhattan. The events surrounding that, America did not need God until attacked on our own soil. And what we saw was people of our country united in humility who met in churches across the nation to pray and to seek God. And it lasted what, two weeks, four weeks? And then what happened? We forgot, we forgot. 9-11 was an instrument of judgment on America to remind us how much we need God. God did not cause 9-11, he allowed 9-11. But the further we got from 9-11, the less we thought we needed God. So what's next? What's, what, where are we as a nation? What is it that needs to remind us that we need God? So we pray. All through the history of the Bible we read of God allowing, even raising up foreign armies to fight and defeat God's people Israel as an instrument of judgment in order to remind us people how much they need God. Now I don't want to equate modern United States with ancient Israel. But there are some very real parallels and applications. Personally, let's bring it down to personally. Let's bring it down to where we are. God allows challenges in our lives that are too big for us to handle so that we will go to our knees and pray. It's humbling. It's supposed to be humbling. That's just frustrating. I don't like to be humble. Do you like to be humble? I don't like to be humble. It's supposed to be humbling. We encounter something we cannot handle. It's humbling to admit we need God. Some people need God to intervene in difficult situations because they're out of their control. Others must humble themselves and pray by admitting that their success didn't come from themselves but came from God. Prayer is humbling, is humbling. Number five, prayer is seeking God. Prayer is seeking God. He says, seek my face. What does that mean, seek my face? Most of us are aware of uh, something called facial recognition software. Facial recognition software. Very sophisticated facial recognition software runs on security cameras and computers in, in airports and other places to catch terrorists or criminals via video surveillance. And if you're following tech news... The newest Apple iPhone 8 is rumored to have face recognition on it. So all you have to do is look at your phone and it opens or it unlocks. Isn't that cool? I'm not sh- sure that's good or not, but that's what it is. I always try to figure out how do you look in the morning and how do you look at night? You put makeup on, you do this stuff. What's, in my phone, our phone's going to get confused. That's, that, that may be the case. But facial recognition. All it has is so we can recognize the face. Now, does seek my face mean we're trying to recognize the face of God? Kind of. That's a start, but there's there's so much more than just facial recognition. When a man falls in love with a woman, he pursues her, tries to spend time with her, have face time, he wants to be with her. He seeks her face. Back in the summer of 1980, I met my wife. She wasn't my wife yet, but I spent every waking moment seeking to be with her, to to seek her face so I could spend time with her, because I was in love with her. Seeking the face. A man in love will do everything possible to spend time. Passion for love, passion for a relationship leads to seek her face. When we seek God's face, it means not only recognizing his face, but pursuing face time. Pursuing FaceTime, not physically, but spiritually. Now, it'd be great if we could FaceTime God with our computer or without our computer or mobile device. We can. We can do it without electronics, actually. We can have FaceTime with God. It's called prayer. 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 Doing everything we can do to spend time with God, FaceTime with God. Seek his face. Another dimension of this, this seeking, seeking FaceTime, if we want to really have FaceTime with God, is something called holiness. In Hebrews 12, 14, it says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. No one will see the Lord. When we think of holiness, we think of right living, right and wrong, trying not hard not to sin, doing nothing wrong. With it. That's, that's part of that. But it's more. It's, it's walking in obedience Realizing that anything that we do wrong affects our relationship with God. We put all those away so that there's nothing hindering my relationship with God. Whatever that is. So that I can have unhindered face time. No filters. No, no pretending. No whatever. No shame. No whatever. We just let ourselves be open with God. And have total open face time with God. Face time with God. If we're to seek God's face, we are seeking what pleases God, his will. Holiness of God according to God's standards. Prayer is seeking God. What follows is a logical, ne- logical next step. Number six is prayer includes repentance. Prayer includes repentance. He says to turn from their wicked ways. Getting right with God. Repentance is a 180 degree turn. It's a change of heart, change of attitude. And repentance includes confession or verbally agreeing with God. Now, we can confess without repenting, but we cannot repent without confessing. Let me explain that. You can confess. say I did wrong, but not change behavior. I did wrong, and they just keep going the same direction. But you cannot repent without confessing. You confess, you repent. You confess, and repenting is turning the other direction. We can confess without repenting, but we cannot repent without confessing. Agree with God, I sinned, I messed up. Prayer includes confession leading to repentance, leading to turning back to God. Is there an area in your life personally in which you need to get right with God right now? Maybe it's anger management or lust or gossip or pride or self-righteousness, lack of passion or prayerlessness or self-sufficiency. There's a, there are a lot of things that get in the way of our relationship with God. The big if, the if includes humbling ourselves, praying, seeking God's face and repentance. Then, there's a then. God never gives a command without a then. I, I love this, he gives command and he gives promise. So if there's a command, you find any command in the Bible, there's always a promise attached to that. If this, then that. There's a command of the promise. And his promise here is absolutely stunning. The seventh principle, Number seven, prayer touches God's heart. Prayer touches God's heart. God says, I will hear from heaven. Now, hear means more than just auditory acknowledgement. Okay, we think of hear as just a physical experience. Well, if a guy is reading a newspaper at the breakfast table, he can hear his wife talking, but he's not listening to a word he's saying, she's saying. Okay. If your son is playing a computer game and you talk, he hears sound, but he doesn't hear any words. If your daughter's texting your friend and you talk to her, she can hear noise but no individual words. Okay, there's a difference. Okay, that's what happens. Well, in this sense, this God actually hears by listening. And this moves past hearing to God's heart, to his heart. God hears, feels, knows when we pray. So God will hear. That word encompasses all of those things in hearing and understanding. The Christian faith stands alone as a belief that prayer, need, humility, and repentance are actions that prompt God to listen to our prayers. He will listen. It's not sacrifice and suffering or self-punishment or begging or appeasement. It's prayer, need, humility, and repentance. And the promise is, I will hear from heaven. It's a long ways away you will hear from heaven. From my high position as the God of the universe, I will hear you. I will feel your pain. I will understand your fear. And I will answer your prayer. I will hear you. Number eight, prayer restores relationship. God says, I will forgive their sin. I will forgive their sin. Exodus 34, 6-7 says, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. God is called compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, abounding in faithfulness. And it says, this love will go to thousands. There's a contrast of thousands of generations. The contrast of punishment to the third and fourth generation contrasted with the thousands of generations. Thousands. What an incredible God we have. He has promised that forgiveness no matter what we've done. I I don't know about you, but there are times that I just get reminded about something really stupid I did. Anybody else do something really stupid? There's two of us, thanks. Okay. Something really stupid and, 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 or something really bad. You know, it's, it's you want forgiveness, and, and you don't want to remember that. When we confess our sins, he forgives us, and he forgets those sins. We may, we may not always forget them, and that's okay sometimes. We need to be reminded, but he forgives them and forgets them. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far I've removed your transgressions. You come to God and say, remember that sin I did last week? Um, no. Because his forgiveness is perfect. Humans, not so much. Not so much. Not only do we remember our offenses, we remember offenses against us. And that's, yeah, that's another story. But forgiveness. We are forgiven. He offers forgiveness. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we for- confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. He restores relationship. Jeremiah 31, 33, it says, This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. He, he called us my people. You're, you're his people. Restoring relationship. I, I, I don't know what that does for you, for your self esteem, for your understanding, and, and yeah, it just, it's like, wow. I am his people, I'm his people. He restores that relationship. Prayer restores our relationship with God. And if you've been isolated, you've been out wherever, maybe you've never known God, a simple prayer, asking Jesus to forgive your sins and to come into your life, you'll have a relationship with him. Prayer. And number nine, prayer moves God to action and move God to action. I will heal their land. Our land desperately needs healing. It's sick with sin, sick with perversion, sick with or immorality. And God is not saying, God is not saying to Israel, he's not saying to America, all the evil people need to change first. No, it starts with God's people. It starts with believers. My people who are called by my name, if they pray, repent and pray, I will act. This is a call to action. It's a call to prayer. The most important thing you can do with your time is pray. The most important thing you can do with your life is pray. The most important activity of the church is and must be Prayer, prayer. We can fill our time playing church and have nice services, great get-togethers, weddings, funerals, baptisms, baby dedications, potluck activities. All those things accomplish our goals and do certain things. But if we really want to make a difference, we pray. Our mission, love God, love people, be transformed, is accomplished in many ways and includes everything that we do. But mostly we can ask God to accomplish the impossible in your life, in the life of our church, in the life of our community, our state, our nation, in the life of the world. It can be done through you and you and you and you and you and you if we pray. The prophet Ezekiel wrote something in the 22nd chapter. Says this, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. Big if, will you pray? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have said in your own words what you will do, and your promises are true. And I pray, God, this morning that you would challenge us anew to realize where the answers lie. It doesn't answer, the answers don't lie in politics and, and education or economics we know that the bottom line has to be, and always will be, prayer. And Father, as we move into this fall, I pray God that you would speak to each and every one of us about prayer. Father, that we would see the needs around us and we would see people as, they, as you see them we see actions we see externals we see external problems and but you see the heart you see the hearts of people that are crying for meaning in life you see the people that have been in poverty and 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 take it out on the streets or people that have been mistreated or people with perceived slights or whatever that is and Lord you see the hurting and you see the sometimes the, the reactions that we have that are that are not right they're they're ignorant based on ignorance and father we must understand that these problems are not economic they are not political our congress is dealing with issues on the physical realm and we thank you for the many of them that are believers that are praying we thank you for the prayer that's going on in Washington, D.C., uh, the church service and the prayer meeting that's now going on at the United Nations. Father, we are amazed at what you're doing. But we acknowledge that, that we don't have the solutions and if we were trying to find political solutions to all our problems, it's not gonna happen. We pray for our president as he deals with all these things. Father, give him supernatural wisdom. Our Senate, our Congress, our governor, our leaders in this city, we pray for them. Our school boards and our, the people who head up our school, the administrators, the teachers. Father, many, we pray for those that are in law enforcement and first responders. There, God, there are so many people that desperately need prayer. Our prayer. Forgive us for just pointing fingers and saying, what's wrong with this or what's wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong. They need prayer. And I pray, God, that you would raise up in this church a cadre of people, a group of people that will pray. So we place it in your hands and we commit our lives to you to pray. Let's stand, shall